you guys. You may be seated. I would like to ask my friends, new friends, David and Michelle, to come up. And I want to talk to them for just a second. And um, right now, in, in fact, exactly 15 minutes ago, uh, we recorded an interview with them yesterday sharing their story. And um, you can get that. Uh, you can go to our website to go to the New Life podcast, but it's, um, if you've subscribed to the podcast, you're going to get the notification, and you can listen uh, to their story, more of which than we're going to get into today, but um, I just like these people. I mean, they're, they're just cool, you know? So um, why don't you guys come here? Uh, let me ask you a couple of questions, uh, kind of about what we talked about yesterday. Now, come on. Um, I maybe you guys don't know this. You'll hear more stories like this, okay? Um, how did you guys meet? Come on. I even told my wife that she couldn't believe that it was true. We met at college. Oh, come on. I, I thought I turned it on. My apologies. Okay. Look you there. All right. We met at college. Uh-huh. Now, come on. <laughs> Pre-salvation. We met at college at a party. A party? Yes. Like a good party. It was obviously packed, right? Well, all parties in college are packed. <laughs> Like I would know, I've never been. (laughs) I went to a Christian school. We didn't have those kind of parties. If only we had. I know it. (laughs) Now you went to, where'd you go? Southwestern Oklahoma State University in Weatherford. And? And me, University of Oklahoma Health Sciences Center. She couldn't make up her mind. I I just want to know who you cheer for on Bedlam Day. Do you cheer for OSU or OU? We don't get to watch Bedlam anymore. Oh, that's not good. (laughs) That's not fair. All right, so you guys were at a party. Brad, I'm sorry, David, sorry. How did you meet her? What, what happened? Well, we were watching the, I want to say maybe it was the OU football game. Of course. And uh, there weren't any more chairs left for her to sit down, and so she was forced to sit on my lap. I think she chose a good chair, don't you? That's amazing. So you guys met in college, you were together, and um, talk about for a minute your encounter with, with the Father, because I know you, you were saved first, transformed first, so tell a little bit about that encounter um, and what happened. So we were going to um, a Pentecostal church, and I wasn't raised in that church, and the Spirit kept drawing me back. Um, I liked being there, and so I was in church every time the doors were open, and it was a Wednesday night, and I don't remember what they were talking about, but they had an altar call, and I went forward, and um, something just happened to me, and they started praying for me, and I started speaking in tongues, and I didn't even know what that was, because I'd never read Acts chapter 2, I didn't know anything about speaking in tongues, and uh, my life was changed dramatically from that point. Um, I started seeking the Lord in, in everything. I wanted to know what had happened to me and who he was. Yeah. And you started praying for your husband. I started praying for David. He was far from the Lord. Yes. <laughs> All right, David, um, you had a pretty dramatic encounter with the Father. Um, would you mind sharing that part of your testimony? Yeah, um, for both of us, I think 
It was, uh, I was reading in 1 Thessalonians today where it says that the word didn't, when you were saved, paraphrasing, it didn't just come in word only, but it came with power. And Michelle, when she was saved, the Holy Spirit's power was evident right there. There was no, there was no mistaking it. And the same with me. I was going to church with Michelle and Braden, and I was drinking, smoking marijuana, doing everything. Didn't want to go to church, but I went. And she was saved for a long time before I was, and a lot of this at the house. A saved person and a lost person. And I was at the same church, and one Sunday morning, if any of you guys have ever been there, the Holy Spirit is tugging. He had been for a little while, and I wouldn't get out of my seat, and I told Pastor, you know, the, the conviction was there, and the altar call was there, and I should have got up and went a couple of times, but I didn't, and I just held on, and, and just held on, and waited for the, the altar call to end, and just, you know, breathe a sigh of relief, but this one Sunday morning, I don't even remember what the pastor was talking about, but... Man, I just got up out of my seat and I came right down to the altar. And I didn't ask for anything. I, I gave him. I said, Lord, I don't want my life anymore. I give it to you. And I just kept saying that I don't want it anymore. I give it to you. And that was my accepting my salvation. But the sanctification, it was, it's funny because I went home that day. And I'm, some of you guys may know this story. I went home that day from, from being saved. And I went out to the garage and I got my little bottle of whiskey that I had hid from her. And I got my little pipe and marijuana that I had hid from her. And I got drunk and I got high the day I got saved. Hmm. So I went to work the rest of the week, came back to church next Sunday, came into church. I think I'm saved. I am saved. I don't know, right? And... The spirit starts moving on me again, and there were other people down front praying. It was just one of those seasons in the church where things like that was happening, and, and I was like, okay, yeah, I know what this is. I remember from last Sunday, so I got up, and I walked down front, and I was going to throw my hands up, and, and it's like the Lord just stopped me right there at the last row, and he said, no, sir, it don't work like that. He said, you ain't going to come in here and do this and go out there and do that. He said, you make a decision right now. It's either me or that trash. And, and, I, and, I, and I told this story. Every day since I turned 16 years old, up to that point, I had drank. Every day I had a dime in my pocket. If I could afford it, I was drinking. And right then and there at that altar, I said, I'll take you. It was an easy decision. This thing that's on me right now or this thing that's been on me for all these years, I choose you. I choose this right now. And I threw away drinking and I threw away drugs. And it had never been part of my life again. There's never been a want for it. He completely just took it out of me. Hallelujah. Because it was never, it was never even supposed to be there in the first place. It was all alive, Satan, and he had just had me hanging on that. But my salvation came just like that, and the sanctification came just like that. I'm still being sanctified, but... <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are 12-step programs, <laughs> but I had a one-step program <laughs> right there that day. And so for me, then it was just, how can I follow the Lord? How can, I, how can we do this? And it, the sitting and just, I mean, we were once where you guys are for a long time. We came to church just like you guys and sat in the seat, and the Lord just kept tugging at our heart to go do and do. And, I don't know. It's, so you have this encounter, 
with God. You give your life to him. But then you come back and give up the stuff so that you would serve only him. Um, You know, most people, after they're saved, they go through baptism. So after your conversion, was there anything else in your life that needed to change, that you needed from God, that you needed to die to, and how did you do it, and what happened after it? We were at a conference, and it was a, it's kind of like a power and love conference where you go and you learn about going out and praying for people, and then you go out and you practice it, and then you come back, and it's really a lot about baptism, and, and I hadn't been baptized. I got baptized two or three times when I was young, got saved several times in church, <laughs> but after that encounter, I hadn't been baptized. And they were baptizing people at the hotel we were staying at in the swim pool. And they were like, does anybody want to get baptized? I was like, man, I want to get baptized. I haven't been baptized since I got saved. And they were like, okay. So I was like, I'm ready to get baptized. And they was like, no, come back here. We want to talk to you first. And they were like, we don't baptize anybody until we ask them this question. There's something in your life that's hanging on that you need to get rid of. Or there's something in your life that's lacking. And what is it? And I'm thinking in my head, man, you know, I'm, I just got saved. I quit drinking. I quit smoking. I came all the way here to go to this conference. I'm on the streets praying for the sick. But as I sat there for a little bit, the Lord, he told me, he said, you don't really love people like you should. And so I said, I want to love the way Jesus did. I want to love people. And so we prayed and we went out there and we got baptized and there's no magic in the water. <laughs> But there is some magic in the water if it's in your heart and you believe it. And so when I came up out of that water, you know, I can sit here and tell you how I was before and how I'm after, but she lives with me every day and she knows how I was before and how I was after. And I'm not going to sit up here and tell you that I'm completed in love, but I just saw things differently that day. So the sanctification thing in my life has took several steps and, and, and I'm sure there's some more to come, but... I have more love for people than I had before. And, and, and without love, you know, you're just, you're just shipwrecked and you're abandoned. You can't walk this thing out the way you're supposed to without that type of love in your heart. So. And from talking to you guys yesterday, love is really a motivating factor for you now. Yeah, Would you talk into that for just a minute? Well, love is say whatever, you, whatever is in your heart to say. Love is the message that God gave us to speak to 107 churches while we were fundraising. Um, that question wasn't planned. Continue. No, it wasn't. Speak whatever's on your heart. Um, God continued to show us through many different avenues what love looked like. And it's defined in 1 Corinthians 13, but we just didn't really see it, that it was not about us, that we can't take offense, that um, we have to lay down our lives for our brother. And I think that message, we continue to speak that to ourselves and to our kids every day because we fall short, you know, at times about truly loving well. But um, I think that was, the, that was one of the foundations that the Lord built with us in unity in Christ was about what love really is and who it comes from. You want to say anything else, man? What, what do you, because you mentioned something to, to me yesterday. Um, Take a minute and speak on what, what, what is burning in your heart for the Church of America. There's a lot of issues going on in the church 
in America. We've been to several churches. We've lived overseas, but we see, you guys are here, you know, there's a lot going on in the world. Just turn on the television, right? It's there. But apart from the outside influences, the things that society is trying to shove down our throats at this time, the things that are trying to creep into the church, God wants us to be holy. He wants us to uh, do not touch what is unclean. The scripture says that uh, I will live in you and I will walk among you if you do not touch what is unclean. Right? So there's things in the world that we don't touch. There's things in the world that we cannot be a part of that they want us to be a part of. Satan is using culture. He wants to infiltrate our culture. Mm -hmm. And our culture is meant to infiltrate their culture. Mm -hmm. And right now we have a little bit of backward and forth. So... He's really been speaking to us about holiness and purification and not touching what's unclean. We need to be known as a church about what we are for and not just what we're against. Yeah. Many people know what the church is not for. But I don't want to be known for what I'm not for. I want to be known for what I am for. I want people to say, do you know David? Yeah, man, he's for this, he's for this, he's for this. I don't want to just be known for what I'm not for. And I think many of the people in the world right now, they want to know what is the church for? Right. We know what you guys are against, but what are you for? And I think what are we for isn't always flushed out and we don't always see it. So to me, it's, it's, it's holiness. They're looking at us. They're trying to catch us looking like them so they can say there's no difference between us and them. Right. Mm-hmm. So but holiness starts in understanding love, right? Yeah. A lot of the issues that we have is we take offense at our neighbor. We take offense at the person across the street. We take offense. Love doesn't take offense. Right. You don't have the right to be offended at other people. You don't have the right to be offended at your husband, at your wife. You don't have the right. Yeah. You're supposed to be dead. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And dead people can't take offense. And if we would just get militant about that, about not taking offense, we can get militant about abortion, about right. divorce. We can get militant about all of this stuff that the, that the United States is trying to push down. Through. But get militant about not taking offense. Mm -hmm. Get militant about I'm going to love you no matter what you do, no matter what you say. And you watch it change your life. And you watch it change the lives of the people around you. So for me, that's, that's what God has birthed in our heart. It's always been love, but it's wrapped in holiness. We have to be sanctified and set apart so that we can go into these areas where you guys live at and where you work, and you can make a difference. The church needs to become more missional. We're yeah. missionaries, but you guys are too. Yeah. And uh, there's people that argue with that, but I, I believe it. Wherever you're at, yeah. we need more Christians in the legal realm. We need more Christians in doctoring. We need more Christians in our public schools. We need more Christian accountants. We need more Christian police officers, right? There's yeah. this bubble and we need to put more Christians in that place. And if you are a Christian, you need to let them know you are. Mm -hmm. So you guys all have somebody around you who's looking at you that needs you. It's a broken, broken world out there. So I could just sit up here and talk about that all day long, but I'm going to quit. Amen. Give them a hand. Thank you, guys. Well, you have a blank note sheet. I invite you to uh, listen to the Holy Spirit for a few minutes. Because my topic today is love 
Not planned. Love is not an action. We've been hanging out for the last several weeks, almost two months now, in Ephesians. And I hope you're not getting tired of Ephesians. I've been in Ephesians for about four months. Um, I, I'm, I have a goal by the end of the year, just for me, not to show, just for me, um, I'm trying to memorize the book of Ephesians. It's, it's changed my life that much. And I've studied the Bible my whole life. Got multiple degrees in studying the Bible. But there's a season where God blows on the written word and something comes to life inside of you. It's called illumination. And knowing who we are in Christ is vital. And Paul spends the first three chapters of this book laying this foundation, trying to get us to understand this is who you are in Christ. My friend used the word sanctification. You know, we've been talking to you about the difference between justification and sanctification. Ephesians chapters one, two, and three is all about explaining the justification of God, what God does for us that we can't do for ourselves. That's why knowing who we are in Christ is so vital because that's the justification. It goes against religion. Religion says, if I do this or do that, God will love me, God will bless me, I'll be okay with God. And that's not true. We are okay with God simply and only because of Jesus Christ. Jesus came as the personification of love with the greatest expression of love to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. But then the rest of the book is really about sanctification. It's, it's the process of taking what God has done for us and letting it be manifested in our life. Now, for some people, like David shared, it can be instantaneous. But David also shared about how that it's been a process in his life. And that's been my life as well. None of you that know me as a kid better say amen right now. Just don't do it. I want you to look at a verse that I have been um, stuck in for a while. I'm, I'm terming my communication with God this way. I'm learning contemplative communication. What I mean is that for months, it's been like a constant conversation in my head just contemplating. And I'm contemplating things that, honestly, I would have told you, man, we need to move on. We, we gotta go to something else, you know? But the more I think about it and listen, the more I understand that I didn't know it like I should. And I've been just bombarded with a contemplative conversation with the Father about love. I truly believe that love is the ultimate key of the kingdom. We want, I grew up in a church where we talked about that God has given us the keys of the kingdom and we have all this power and stuff. Listen, if we aren't love, we have no power. We have a show, but we have no power. So I got to Ephesians 5, which is where we are in our progression. And... Uh, 
I've been on these two verses for three weeks, so you're gonna take the journey with me today. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, look at it with me. It says, imitate, I gotta put it up there, sorry. There we go. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with, say it. Oh, that was puny. Live a life filled with. That was good. Following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us as a pleasing aroma to God. Let me show you something looking at this first verse. Imitate. The Greek word that's used here means imitate. I'm serious. The first definition of the Greek word used here is imitate. It carries it on to imitate as an example of. Now listen to it this way. Be an example of God. Be an example of God. Be an expression of God. Imitate God. Now, I don't know about you, but I've sat for weeks going, God, how am I supposed to imitate you? I mean, you are the guy who we just sang about that spoke and a billion galaxies were born. How am I supposed to imitate you? I mean, Jesus, you were God in the flesh, so you could do all those things, but, but how am I supposed to imitate God? How am I supposed to be an example of God? Man, that's hard. That, that's crazy. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. Jesus said a prayer. He was praying over his disciples. And it's the last prayer that he prayed on the earth. Jesus said this, I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Now, I understand that when we first look at this scripture, we understand that Jesus is praying to a group of people and he's praying that this diverse group of people will somehow act as one, that they'll be one. But there's another layer. Look at it one more time. I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one. What does it mean for God to be one? He had three persons, three expressions, yet wrapped up in one identity. You with me? You and I will never be able to be, to operate in true unity with other believers if we are in disunity within ourselves. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, your mind, your soul, and your spirit. We've preached for years about your spirit, but man, we're gonna start, we gotta start learning about the soul 
because the soul is the conduit. It's where the spirit of God manifests itself through your soul, and it's where the flesh battles against the spirit. It's in your soul. Your soul is, is your mind, your will, your emotions. I don't want us to just be, to realize God has saved and put his spirit inside of us. I want you to grab this today. He wants to heal your soul. Yes, amen. He wants to heal the damage you have inflicted to yourself. Yes. He wants to heal the damage inflicted by the words of other people. Do you want to know why you struggle to forgive? Why we struggle to forgive? Because our soul is damaged and we haven't dealt with the pain. What we do is we ignore the pain and we say we forgive, but we really don't go all the way down and let the spirit heal our soul. Do you want to know why you, we get angry at the drop of a hat? Because our soul is damaged and we need to heal our soul. We need to let Jesus heal our soul. He wants me to be one. I love the story and uh, the statement in Psalm 23 where he's depicting the shepherd and, and he uses the phrase, he sets a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, David is talking about something specific for shepherds, okay? Because flat areas... Not valleys, but flat areas between valleys and mountains were often called tables, okay? So, and they would often take their sheep to these tables because the tables would be the first place that water collected as it came down from the mountains and water would just hang there. You are my shepherd, you lead me beside still waters. You restore my soul. You make a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Well, not only would they take them to this table, but they would build out of stone, they would build an encampment, a circle. And they would leave a gap. And do you want to know where they would rest while the sheep grazed? They laid in the gaps. So when the wolves would come, they would have trouble getting to the sheep, first of all, because there was a wall they had to go over. But secondly, because the shepherd was there. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the shepherd. I am the door. I fill the gaps in your life. So that's the first layer of what he's getting at in Psalm 23. I want to take you to an alternate look at it. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. When I see the word table, I see food. <laughs> Amen? And what do we do at tables? We hash things out. We, we hang out with friends. You prepare a table before me in the presence. Before means you're, it's in front of you. You're looking at it. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Can I tell you who your first enemies are? They're your past, your failures, and your hurts. And he has prepared a table in front of us. And he is sitting at the table. And do you know who he's inviting to come and sit down? Your past, your pain, your failures, your disappointments, your hurts. He wants them to come to his table so he can interact with them, so that he can heal all of those things. But do you know what we do? We think the table is just for the good side of us that we present to him. Yeah. 
So we come to a place like this on a day like this and we walk in to present the best side of ourselves in worship. Yet the Father is wanting to completely convert us. Not just convert us to accept the thought of Jesus as the Son of God, but he wants to convert us so that we become the example of God. And we can never be the example of God if we're not first one and whole within ourselves. I pray that they will be one. Father, as you and I are one. So there's the first idea. I want you to know that we have people around that can help. Counselors are fantastic. You know? But prayer is fantastic too. Do you know what's the ultimate fantastic? Believing the truth that in Christ, your past is healed. Your pains are healed. Your disappointments are healed. That you're new. But then there's the other part. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us, so the world will believe you sent me. I believe this is a prophetic statement I'm, I'm making, and I make it very carefully. The church is not its own entity. The church is to be lost in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I believe that's the next great move that's coming. That's the purification of the the church that's happening right now. We're finding out those who are really in Christ and those who are not. We are to be lost in him. Isn't that what Jesus, I mean, this is Jesus, this is the red letters, folks. And may they be in us. Oh, but God, your spirit is in me. But your spirit is now lost in him. Your soul is now lost in him. When we think about the word flesh, we think about our senses. But the flesh is also our our instincts. Have you ever done something and when called on it, why you did it, your response was, I don't know. Wives, quit hitting your husbands. (laughs) Well, I don't know why I did that. It's because it's, a, it's an inbred nature. Yeah. Not only does the Father want to awaken your soul through salvation, not only does he want to heal your soul as well from your past, but listen to me, he wants to transform your flesh. Yeah. That's what he says in Ephesians, that he'll, we will follow the Spirit's desires instead of the flesh's or the world's desires. He literally wants us to be walking bags of an expression of him in the earth. And what we have been sold in the church is books like this, How to Live Your Best Life. Bunk. The best life we could have is to die at the cross, to pick up Jesus' cross, and let the resurrected Christ drill down inside of us till none of us is left and only he is seen. That's your best life. We've been obsessed with trying to make our physical life better. 
But if you just read the gospel, Jesus came to do something different. He came to totally transform you and me so that our spirit is alive, our soul is healed, and our flesh, the way we live, our natural instincts begin to be driven by something else. You know what happened to David that second time that he was stopped at the altar and he had that encounter with the father? Do you know what God transformed? His flesh. Because what he desired before, he suddenly didn't desire anymore. He wants to heal your spirit, your soul, and your flesh. Now do you understand this phrase that I've been telling you for weeks? All of God loves all of you. He loves your soul. Jesus, lover of my soul. We've been taught to dislike our soul. We've been taught that our soul is bad. Yet Jesus is the lover of your soul. Do you know why? Because he created you in his image, three parts, and he loves every part of you. All of God loves all of you. When we become one, look at this. Live a life filled with love. The word love here is agape, and agape love is love to the point of self-sacrifice. And then he defines it right in the, in the verse here. Following the example of Christ, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. I'm so glad that I can be a pleasing aroma. You ever smelt a non-pleasing aroma? Yeah. Have you ever wondered when people interact with you, do you stink? <laughs> or are you pleasing? Are you, are you releasing a pleasing aroma? We're obviously concerned about our aroma. That's why we take stuff out of whales and make perfume. Because we're concerned about how we smell to other people. Oh, Father, when will we be concerned about how we smell to you? Amen. When will we come to you with, with the broken, shattered parts of our life and dump it all out in front of you so that we smell good to you? Because there is no greater love than this than that someone lays down his life for one of his friends. Becoming one with the Father. Love is not an action. Love isn't something we decide to do. Love is not an emotion that we choose to interact with. Our problem is, is that we equate love to platonic love, to the love we have for a spouse. I mean, that's a, that's a, a real love. I mean, I mean there's, there's, there's an intimacy there. There's an unashamedness there. I mean, your spouse sees everything about you and knows everything about you and chooses to love you. Just this morning, my wife is struggling with a little rash of poison ivy and it's on her neck and she turned around and flipped her hair and said, isn't this cute? I mean, streaks of poison ivy, red. I was like, no, baby. 
I'm glad love's not based on cute, cute or I'd be out of here already. You, you would have done, got rid of me. And sometimes we think that God loves us that way. But perfect love is completely different. It's deeper than that. Because it's not an action. Hear me in the next few moments. Love is God. Love is God. It's not what he does. It's the essence of who he is. Let me see if I can tie this together for you. Help me, Holy Spirit, to say what you showed me in the right way. Imitate God. If God is love, he does not want us to act better at love. He wants to totally transform us till we are walking hearts, walking expressions, walking images of his love to bury it so deep that it's not even an action we think about, but it literally becomes who you are. God is love. And if you are in Christ and you are one with God, then he expects us to be love. Amen. That is true. To be love. And then he defines this kind of love. That this kind of love is not about you, but it's about somebody else. This kind of love, to be this person, means it's not an issue to lay down what you want because actually you don't want you anymore because you're lost in him and you want what he wants. And do you know what the Father wants? It's God's will that all people come to repentance. Do you know what the Father wants? He wants you and me living our life as a heart of love, being one with God, with our eyes wide open and sensitive and, and ready at a moment's notice to be an expression of his love to those in our life. That we become the carriers of what Jesus commissioned us to do. Go and tell. Go and show. Go and show. Do you know what we've done in the church? Come and see. At New Life, I want us to be a place that sins. I want you to go and show. Go and show. Go and show his love. Be so unified with the Father and healed inside that we are walking imitations of God. I don't care how many scriptures you memorize. If his love, if he isn't beating the heart inside of you. That's where we need to start. I've been praying that God would begin to do heart transplants at New Life in us. That we would be compassionate about the ones. That we would be passionate about the one sheep that's off the cliff that we would be passionate about God's. See, we take the prodigal son and only think about our family. Our family is secondary to God's family and all humanity is birthed from God. All humanity is his family and we need to be concerned about the prodigals of God's family. 
That's why when the prodigal comes home, expecting to meet a judgmental, disciplinary dad. Do you remember the story? The, the father totally ignored the kid. Said, no, no slave for you. I'm gonna put you right back where you belong. You're a child of mine. And I'm gonna receive you and I'm gonna reinstate you. That's an example of the love of God. But the only way that we will be able to walk this love out is by an infusion, not only of his heart, listen to me, but of the Holy Spirit. If God is a heart, the Holy Spirit is his beat. The Holy Spirit operates in rhythm with the heart of God. And the heart of God is beating hard for our culture and our country and our world. And I appreciate the Rileys sensing that heartbeat and being possessed with this kind of love I'm talking about today, that they would pick up their family and move to West Africa and embed themselves in a culture they really know nothing about, to live in a language that they can't even speak, yet just to be driven by the oneness that they are with the love of God, that they take a step. And I'm here to tell you it's time for us to become missionaries to our own country, to our own city, to our own block. And to let the love of God beat and drive us and to be filled with the Spirit in this way. Because though the woman in Jesus' second story was looking for a coin, she couldn't find it. Listen to me. She was looking for what was valuable. She knew something valuable was lost, but she couldn't find it until she performed an act. This is why James says, faith without action, faith without works is dead. You, got, you say you believe it, do something with it. And this woman picked up a candle and then lit it with a flame. And in the New Testament, the flame is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And I think for a lot of us, we're good at picking up candles, but we gotta learn to let the Holy Spirit be the one that lights it. And when the Holy Spirit touched her action, she found what was valuable because she was driven to find that which was lost. So I wanna ask you today, are you willing to start this journey I'm talking about? To where it's not just salvation and praise God, I'm going to heaven. But realize, realizing that he wants to do something with your flesh, with your body. He wants you to be an example of him. He wants you to care for people in the right way, respond to people in the right way. To beat at his rhythm. You know what happens when you run? Your heart beats faster. 
and God's picking up his speed. His heart's running faster. He's more determined than ever in my life. Our runway is getting short, folks. This is not a dream that Jesus is coming. I'm telling you, it's close. Where is our passion for the ones that are out there that are lost? Where is our desire to do whatever it takes to find whatever candle we have and lift it up and say, Holy Spirit, light it and use my action to help me find those that are valuable to you. Until we are able to do this, we're not really one with him. We're not really lost with him. Perhaps some of you are here today and you're like me. You have your list of things that you've done wrong why why God can't love you. And I'm here to tell you he does love you in spite of all of those things. And he loved you while all those things were going on. And if you will open your heart to him, he will do what I'm talking about what David talked about. He'll change your heart and he'll change your life. But for those of us that are Christ followers, there's a call to lay down the banner of Christian and become a Christ follower, to have a relationship with Jesus in such a way that he's leading and driving our life because we're lost in him. We're lost in the things that he's passionate about. And if you will take that journey, I would like for David and Michelle, who carry this heartbeat, to pray over anyone who would be willing to open themselves up to what I'm talking about today. Our destiny is to provide new life in an old place but it first starts with us getting whole and getting healthy and becoming one with the Father. Father, I pray today that Lord, in the next few moments that you would demonstrate your love that God, we would move out of an area of complacency and an area of, of viewing and watching and but that we would take this journey of saying, God, I really wanna be one with you. I, I wanna have your heart. I, I wanna be what, what I've heard about today. I wanna imitate you. I wanna be an example, an expression of you. And I know, Father, I cannot do that by my own desires or my own willpower. I have to let you do a new work inside of me. And I'm willing to start right now, to make a move right now, to say I'm, I'm willing to be one with you, Father, to let your heart beat in me, to lose myself, in you. Would you stand all over this place? A heart is an expression of love. And I want you to know he wants to love on you today. If you would make that statement, I just 
made or pray, agree with the prayer I just prayed, would you just step out and come right down here to the front? Come on. Come on. We're going to sing a song a couple times about the love of the Father. And I want you to step out and, and, and let them impart to you the heart of the Father.